We are in the sixth commandment, which is chapter 20, verse 13. Now, with the fifth commandment, we entered into the love your neighbor as yourself. So the first four were examples of what it meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Honor your mother and father, we're entering into the how do I love my neighbor. And the first place to start is with God. He's your highest authority. That's who you start to love. That's where you deal with that kind of stuff. Then it moves to your parents, who are your first earthly authority that you have in your life. And we talked about why that was important last week. And now it broadens out pretty much everybody. So what does it look like to love my neighbor? Well, first, verse 13, verse chapter 20, you sh- will not murder. That's kind of obvious, you would think, but a lot of people don't know that. So the commandment here is literally says, never murder. It just basically says, never murder. That's all it is. You have to remember a lot of these command statements are like, you will not or you shall not are not really there in the original Hebrew. That just kind of bluntly states it, never murder, period. The idea is that this is not, you're not allowed to kill. Now, I know that sounds like a modern-day rationale and that kind of stuff, but it's not just we're saying, hey, we have to be able to fight in war, right? That's not the reason. The real reason you're saying that this is not a command of not kill is because this would contradict God's command to exterminate the Canaanites when they get in the land, and it would contradict the death penalty that God put on people for murdering and raping and violating the Sabbath and that kind of stuff. So God is not saying you should not kill because that would contradict himself, and he doesn't contradict himself. What he's saying is you shall not murder. You will not murder. And that is the point here. And this goes right back to Genesis 9-6. This is not a brand new command. The first thing that they got when they got off the ark, God made a Noahic covenant with Noah And one of the commands of the requirements was, you will not murder. And if you murder, then your life will be removed under the death penalty. So that makes it clear this isn't about killing. The real heart of this and the distinction between killing or murder is what is not sanctioned by Yahweh. The real point here is Yahweh is the one who created us. Yahweh is the one who created us in his own image. Yahweh is the one who put us in the land and gave us life. And the reality is Yahweh therefore has every right to take you out of the land and take away your life if he wants. Therefore, if you have seriously sinned against him and you are under the death penalty, then he is allowed to say, you have so seriously violated my authority, you have so seriously violated my creation, you have so seriously violated what it means for you to be in my image, and you have so seriously violated the lives of my children, I have every right under justice and under judgment to remove your life from this land, period. He has every right to do that by the fact that the only reason that you are able to live more than one day is because he's the one that gave you that life. So you have life because of him. He can stop it whenever he wants. So if he comes in and says that these Canaanites are so sinful that they need to be exterminated, then the reality is that's okay. 
And once again, we'll talk about that a lot more when we get to Deuteronomy and Joshua, if you hang around that long, because it's a much more complicated issue than that. But it first and foremost starts with the fact that he's God, period. And then if he says that these certain crimes are so evil and so sinful that I then give your authorities and your countries or cities or communities to, ex- to end the life of that person if they commit these crimes, then he can do that. Therefore, he is sanctioning the extermination of the Canines. He's sanctioning the death penalty for certain crimes. The problem is when we come in without his will, without his approval, and we say, I want your life to be in. That's the difference between killing and murdering, basically. You can give all these modern-day philosophical answers and all that kind of stuff, but the reality is this presents an interesting thing when it comes to war now. Okay, now I don't want to step in his face toes like, I thank God for soldiers every day that protect our rights and that kind of stuff, and I am not going to touch this, okay? Not with a 10-foot pole. But it does present the question of, what about a soldier killing people in war? Now, in some sense, God made it very clear in the book of Romans that he has put our governments in charge of executing justice. So there's a certain sense that if a government says that these people need to be executed, then they have the right to do that because God has given them that authority in Romans. But the problem is, what if your government is self-centered, trying to go for its own purposes, and it's more interested in other things than really truly justice? What do you do with that? That's where the philosophical debate comes in. Okay, On what is murder and what is killing, that's clearly laid out whether God has divinely sanctioned it or not. How do we deal with a government that has been sanctioned by God to execute judgment, who then goes out and executes that in a way that we may not totally understand, be okay with, wonder if there's conspiracy theories there, alternative motives? That's a whole other conversation. And I think that then comes to the church sitting down as a community and lots of prayer, Lots of Bible reading, lots of being led by the Holy Spirit, asking, are these wars just? That's not a question the Bible is answering right now, is whether your government's fighting a just war or not. That's not here. America's not here. Britain's not here. Whatever government. That's a whole other conversation, a whole other conversation, or discussion that needs to be done in prayer through the Holy Spirit. So not talking about that, but it does then present a very interesting question. Do we need to seriously consider what wars are truly just and what wars are truly not just? And the answer would be yes. The answer would be very much yes. How do we participate in the freedoms of other people? What does it look like to defend the rights of other people in other countries? How far should we go? All that kind of stuff. That's a whole other conversation But the point of this is, I know I'm throwing a grenade under your door and walking away, theological one. The whole point is that we should not just mindlessly accept that if soldiers are killing people, then it's okay because it's war. Because the command here is only divinely sanctioned deaths are okay. So the question we have to ask is, of every end of life, was this truly just? Does it truly fit into God's idea of justice? Here's an interesting thing here. Self-defense. 
Okay, if somebody comes to your house and attacks you and you defend yourself, that kind of stuff. I took a, uh, a concealed weapons license class for self-defense. And I know that you, some of you might hate me right now for just taking that class and seeing it. But my point was I just want to know how to defend myself, what their legal rights are. And what I found more, I already, I shoot guns, I already know all that kind of stuff. What I was more interested in was the laws and how things work. And they brought a lawyer in. And this lawyer was talking about, really, it's, it's on you. If somebody comes to your house and attacks you and you're defending yourself, you have to prove that you were taking their life in self-defense. You basically have to prove that they were attacking you and threatening your life so severely that you had no other choice but lethal force. Because the law says that if you can run away, that's what you have to do first. If you have a concealed weapon, license, whatever, they're coming in your house, they're breaking down the door, they've got a gun. If you've got a back door and you can grab your kids and your family and run out the back door and you stand to cho you choose to stand and fight, you've, you've murdered somebody according to law. But if you can't get out, like your kids are up there and you're down here and there's no way you can safely get out and you defend yourself to the point of they dying, then it's a whole different thing. But even then you have to go to court and all it's all on you to prove. So even America doesn't really truly now, what was very interesting is this guy in the back of the class basically said, oh, well, this kind of stinks. I thought when I had my concealed weapons license that I could just defend my family, period, and kill them. Like, I was just hoping this would be a get-out-of-jail card to kill people, right? And what was so interesting is this lawyer was definitely not Christian. You could tell that he was definitely not Christian. He was your stereotypical lawyer. He made a lot of jokes that were kind of like, okay, dude, you're, okay, you're, I know you're really hardened because you probably deal with a lot of crappy things in life, but okay, just like lighten up a little bit. But even this hardened guy who basically has dealt with the worst of worst of life, and you could tell he was beaten down by years of court cases, said, well, of course it's going to be as hard. The law is going to be as hard as you, you can. Sorry. Of course the law is going to be hard on you as it can be. You just took the life of a human. And that's really what it comes down to. Even this guy who was totally not Christian, who was totally a lawyer, and all those jokes totally applied to him, that he knew his stuff. And even he replied with, you just put a bullet in a person's body and you took their life. That should bother you. And that's the point when it comes to, and if you know people who fought in war, they come back seriously changed, seriously affected, and it haunts them the rest of their life. Because there's something about being made in the image of God and taking somebody else who is an image of God, that's a huge thing. And Hollywood makes it look so easy. Physically, <laughs> with these incredible people who shoot every little target no matter what, and emotionally. But what's interesting is Hollywood's actually beginning to change and I've been gonna notice more and more movies where they're actually showing the toll that it takes on somebody who actually has to end people's lives. And so the reality is, God has basically said, I am the only one who has the right to determine when an image is exterminated, period. If you ever consider this on your own, you're murdering. 
And if this is ever considered by a government, then this should be a whole lot of trepidation and fear and conversation as you begin to address the issue of whether we're going to end this person's life or whether we're going to go to war and kill people. This is my creation and the apex of all creation, the thing that I value the most, the thing that I was willing to die on the cross for, you, be, you better seriously be in a lot of prayer and really be clear what God's divine mandate is on this before you decide to take somebody's life. Because that is the image of God. And that's what God is making very clear is we're not allowed to step outside of his will in here. Now, you have free choice, which means you have the choice to do this or not, but you don't have free will, meaning that you can do whatever you want. You have choices, and God clearly lays out choice, 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 and says you're free to choose whatever you want, but I have not given you free will. You don't have the will or the right to determine whatever you want to do is okay. You don't have the right to say that this is what I want, and this is what I want, and I don't really care about what you want, and I don't care about what he wants. You don't have free will. We've mislabeled that. You have free choice, meaning God has made his will very clear in a lot of cases. Some cases it's hard and subjective, but he still clearly has a will there, whether we know it or not. You have a choice of whether you're going to obey God's will or you're going to follow your own will. You have free choice, not will. You need to understand that because did Christ have the free choice to die on the cross for your sins? Yes, he said, I don't want to die. Okay, But did God clearly reveal what his will for Christ was? In the end, Christ said, not my will, but your will. See, that's what it really came down to. Jesus wasn't sitting there like, oh, do I die on the cross or do I not die on the cross? Oh, this is difficult. Well, he knew that his real choice was, do I follow his will or do I follow my will? That's all you have is choices. That's all you have is choices. But you don't really have free will. You don't really have the right to determine whatever you want to do is okay. And so that's what God is really trying to get at here. And I know that, the, that, that self-defense and war and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying that those choices are easy. And I'm not saying all wars are unjust and no soldier should be killing people because that's clearly not biblical either. I'm not saying that the death penalty is unbiblical because that's not definitely clear. All I'm saying is God said that if I haven't sanctioned, it's not okay which means if you're going to go to war, if you're going to do self-defense, if you're going to put somebody on death row, that needs to be done through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not condemning nor approving any of these other things. I'm just saying sometimes we too quickly jump on the patriotic bandwagon or too quickly think, oh, if he's a serial killer, then definitely. Because remember, what is the, death pen what is the penalty for murder? According to law. Death. Did David murder people? Yes, he murdered, he raped Bathsheba, and he murdered her husband. And yet God excused him from the penalty of the law because of God's grace. But there's other times, like Haman and other people, who were clearly executed for their crime and murder. 
And so what God is saying is, not every case is the same. So we need to consider that when we think death penalty. We need to consider God's divine mandate when we consider war. And I know these decisions are completely out of our hand in most cases, but who knows? Okay, we might have family members who are in politics. We have, may have family members who work in the prisons and that kind of stuff. And we can enter these conversations with them and we can pray with them and we can try to discuss this. But the reality is God is saying you don't have the right to end a life whenever you want to. Now, for most of us, that's pretty easy. Like, you know what? It's not like I really have a bodies in the closet somewhere. And it's not like I really have the, the, the ability to go into government and help our president make decisions about war. So, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me, right? Let's move on to the next law. But remember, if you extrapolate these, these really have nothing to do with the actual behavior. It has everything to do with the heart. Because Christ comes along and he kind of puts it in your face and says, you've completely misunderstood this law your entire life. I, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you that even if you have anger in your heart, you've already murdered somebody. Now that hurts. Because there's a whole lot of anger in a lot of our hearts for a lot of things. And maybe not right now, but there have been at different times in our life. And God is saying you're guilty of murder. Now, you know that whole like saying, sticks and stones will break my names, bones, but names will never hurt me? That's full of crap. Okay? That is the biggest lie that somebody sold us and got recirculated. Especially if you've ever had kids or you're a teacher or whatever, and you deal with the names and the bullying and all this stuff. Look, your kids, my kids, can run, hit the ground, slide across the pavements, rip all the skin off their body, and they cry for like two minutes and they get up and start playing again. And eventually they heal. Broken bones are like an opportunity for everybody to give you attention as they sign your cast. Okay? <laughs> you can heal from those things. There's very few physical injuries that stay with you for your entire life. Mostly it's just sports, not actual other things. But those names, some of you guys are still dealing now with what has been dealt out to you as a kid by your parents or family members or people at school. People go to counseling, though, their entire life because of name-calling and the way that, and the, the anger that your parents had for you, the anger that some family member has for you all the time, every time you see them. You know what the leading cause of suicide among teenagers is in America? Bullying. Bullying, not, not even physical bullying. Cyberbullying, name-calling, cliques being excluding. And now with this new TV show on Netflix called well, Something 13 or whatever, suicide rate has actually increased ever since that TV show has come out because that TV show actually glamorizes suicide. And they've actually watched with episodes suicide rates increase drastically. The reality is if you've got anger in your heart for somebody, you're murdering them. Now why? Because a lot of times you think, oh, it's just on the inside. Well, one, if I come up to you and I say, I love hanging out with you. I, I would love to spend every single day with you that I possibly could. We're best friends. I love talking to you. I love hanging out with you. In fact, I hate fishing, but I love you so much, I'll go fishing with you. Like, we're best buds. I love you. But you know what? I cannot stand your son or daughter. I hate them. 
I wish that they wouldn't even exist. Now, is that going to go over well with you? Let's say we really were best friends and we hung out all the time and then I say that. Is that going to go over well with you? Is our friendship pretty much going to die right then and there? I mean, yeah, you might try to work it out with me and talk to me and figure out why, but I'm like sticking to that. Our friendship's over with. But, and then I come to you and I say, well, no, 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 you misunderstand. I don't hate you. I just hate your kid. Is that going to be like, oh, okay, everything's better now. Why? Because that kid is an extension of you. I mean, in a lot of ways, we feel like they are us. They're the thing that we love the most. They're the thing that we're willing to die for. And so you say, well, I never told them I hated them. But in your mind, who can read your mind? God. And he sees all your fantasies of what you would like to say to them or what you would like to do to them or how you feel about them. And you don't think that's going to affect your relationship with God? You know it's going to affect your relationship with your friend over there if you tell them you hate their kid. And then you sit there all day telling them, thinking how much I hate God's child that he was willing to die for, and you don't think that's going to affect your relationship with God. And then here's the other part of it. Thoughts eventually become actions. You may be able to contain something long enough I guarantee you, anything that you dwell on will eventually come out. It'll eventually come out. And you'll say something to that person. Or you may not be brave enough to say to that person, but eventually you can't contain yourself and you'll say it to other people. And then you affect them like some kind of... I mean, you guys all know that... I mean, some of you are not even complainers and you're very positive all the time. Then you get with a complainer and it just spreads through work and it becomes contagious. And you're affecting the way that that person views that other person. You constantly talk bad about them, it's going to affect them. Or have you ever been in a room with two people who don't like each other and everything gets really tense and you're like, this is really uncomfortable and this is miserable to be in this room when these two people are together? It's spilling over no matter what. And eventually you will say something. And eventually you will act upon it. And here's the other thing too. If you harbor that bitterness, it will begin to destroy you. I mean, on just a purely selfish reason, don't have anger in your heart, even if you don't care about the person. You eventually begin to eat the image of God away from you. Because if you hate a fellow image of God that Christ was willing to die for, it will begin to eat and destroy your own image. And it will dehumanize you. And maybe it will take different lengths of period of time for different people. and to, well, I don't know. But eventually, by your old age, if you nurture this thing, you will be dehumanized. And it will make you a very bitter person. You'll be the kind of person. You'll be the Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. Nobody wants to be around you. You're that bitter old man or woman. And it will spill over, and it will begin to affect the way that you view other people that never had anything wrong with you. And if you know anything about hatred towards certain people, sometimes it becomes so great that you begin to view everybody else that's the same race as them, or the same gender as them, or the same profession, or the same whatever, and you begin to carry that hatred out into people who are kind of like them as well. And it begins to destroy you. And here's the other thing, too. If you don't maintain your ship 
very well what will happen to your ship. It'll begin to break down and sink, and eventually you'll even lose control of it, and it might run into other people's ships. Anger is murder. Now, here's the other thing. First John takes it even further and says that if you see somebody in need and you don't even help them, you're like your father Cain, who was a murderer. So he says it takes that makes you feel really guilty. If you see people in need, genuine, legitimate need, and you have the ability to help them, and you choose to say, my time is more important, God takes it as murder, because that's their life. They're struggling. They're having trouble surviving, and you're just walking by. Isn't that what the whole Good Samaritan parable is about? The people who walk by, and that guy would have died. The reality is what God is saying is if you would want somebody to not hate you for every little thing that you do, if you would want somebody to forgive you, knowing that you make mistakes, knowing that you've made, that you say dumb things sometimes that you don't really mean, or even if you did, that doesn't mean that you want to carry that the rest of your life, then would you not want somebody to do that for you? And therefore, wouldn't you do that for them? And that's what it really comes down to. That's why God kind of sums it all up with Leviticus 19:18, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Oh, sorry, Leviticus 19:18 is love your neighbor as yourself. That's the way you operate. And so the reason God's pushing this here is you can rationalize all you want about how it's just your thoughts, but that doesn't last long. And even some people, you can destroy people's lives by the fact that you never say anything bad to them but they, you feel, they feel cold. You constantly walk in the room and they're cold to you all the time. They don't even talk to you. That affects you too. Now, how do you know if you hate somebody or your anger towards them? This isn't rocket science. You kind of know it. <laughs> but it's when they walk in the room and your mood changes for the negative, period. You clench the fist. You feel like you have to get out of the room or you just go negative, or you go cold, or whatever, that's how you know you've got issues. You've got issues. And you can say all you want that you forgive them, but if your mood goes to the negative, you haven't. Because here's the thing. If Christ was willing to forgive your horrible, evil sin against him, and he's able to die on the cross for your sins, and he's able, according to the book of Hebrews, to stand in our midst and call us brothers and sisters then should you not be able to do that for somebody else? Because whatever offense they've committed against you is nothing compared to what you've committed against him. And are you really telling the truth about God if you have that anger in your heart? And if you have the anger in your heart, you're not telling the truth about God, and then you just violated the other command of not take, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Because you're not accurately representing his character. And so Christ pushes these to much further. Now, a lot of people misunderstand Christ and think that Christ has taken the law and he's raised the bar and made it more difficult to follow now. Like, hey, I'm getting the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to make the law more difficult. (laughs) It's like, now that you've done high school, let's go to college. That's not what Christ is doing. Christ is not making the law more difficult when he comes along. Christ is telling you what the law was supposed to say all along. How it was supposed to be interpreted. God's heart didn't change. 
God didn't decide, you know what? I think anger in your heart is going to be considered murder material. After 2,000 years, let's kind of up the ante. What Christ is telling you is this is what the law was saying all along. You were supposed to extrapolate it. This is also why Christ says, if you have anger in your heart, you leave your gift at the door and you do not enter that temple until you go back and make it right with your brother or sister. Because what God is saying is, you're going to have a hard time having a good relationship with me if that's the way you feel. Now, Peter says, live with your spouse, your wife, and all understanding. And in this way, your prayers will not be hindered. I used to think that that meant that it'll be easier. God will listen to your prayers if you're living with your spouse in a good way. But as I got older and got married and had some disputes with my wife, I began to realize that's not what he was talking about. I began to realize what it meant was it was hard for me to connect to a God that knew I was supposed to be living in a certain way with my wife and loving her in a certain way, and I wasn't doing that. And then now I had to go to him and start talking to him and praying with him. And it was hard for me to pray. It was hard for me to connect to him. It was hard for me to have a relationship with him because here I was, this sinner, who was stepping in the presence of a holy God and trying to have a relationship with him like everything was okay with my wife. And that's basically what Christ is saying here. It's going to be very hard for you to step in the presence of a holy God and have a relationship with him if you're nurturing some anger in your heart. 